big kind of thesis, theses of the series is that there's not necessarily um, marriage issues as much as there are people issues, as much as there are heart issues. And so these things really affect all of us and that they apply to all of us. And to get to the heart of a good marriage, you have to just get to the heart of a, of a person and how all of our life is affected by what Jesus says um, just to us as human beings. And so this is kind of what we've been talking about. We only have three more weeks in this series. And tonight we're going to talk about an issue that there's a lot of confusion around. Uh, we're going to talk about the different callings that men and women have within marriage. And so this is something that there's a lot of confusion about. It's something that there's a lot of uh, confusion, I think, for different reasons. I think there can be confusion because it's something that has been overemphasized in a lot of churches. So I don't know what kind of church you grew up in. If you did grow up in church, maybe this is the first church you've ever been a part of. I know that's true for many of you. Um, but it might have been something that was kind of overemphasized, and so there's a lot of confusion about this is maybe pastors every single week, this is what they talk about, this is one of the very core things of the church, and if you don't believe this, then you're kind of out. Um, that's not what we believe. Um, so sometimes I think there's confusion because it's something that is overemphasized. Uh, I think there's confusion because it's just something we ignore altogether. I mean, if you're married, this might not even be something you ever even think about or ever even really talk about. What's the different callings of men and women within a marriage relationship? It might not even be something you think about. And so then what generally happens is you just kind of do whatever your parents did, for better or for worse. You just kind of, if, you, if it's not something you're actually consciously thinking through, you end up just kind of falling into, well, here's what my mom did, here's what my dad did, and that just kind of becomes the pattern if there isn't actually conscious thought behind it. It can also be confusing because it's something that we, some people really resist. I mean, I think in general, in our world, we don't like to talk about any differences or distinctions between males and females at all. And because of that, that flows then into marriage as well. And there can be some strong resistance to it. But here's, here's what I want to say as we begin to talk about this. What, regardless of whatever you believe tonight, um, what, what I think is true is that the more we understand, the more we understand the way God has designed things, the more beauty we see in them. The more we understand the way God has designed things, the more we understand and kind of push into how God has designed and created something, the more of the beauty of it we experience. And when I was in Seattle just this last week, we were talking to some friends, and they had kind of, kind of accidentally uh, got invited to this, uh, there's this, I think it's the Columbia Tower in Seattle, which is this big giant skyscraper downtown. It has a really nice restaurant there, and it's kind of an exclusive club. But they had somehow gotten into sit at the chef's table. And at the chef's table, what happens is you, you're there kind of eating with j- just you and maybe one other, I think there was one other couple there with them. And that couple had been playing, had, they're a part of this exclusive club and they had been planning for months and months and months and months and months to be able to get to the chef's table. Somehow, I can't remember the whole story, but somehow they just kind of accidentally got to go there just that night. And you sit with the chef and the chef, all the dishes come out and he explains to you here's how I made this, and here's how I designed this, and here's how this flavor goes with this, and here's how this wine goes with this, and wait, eat this first, and do you taste this piece? Oh, yeah, put that on this part of your tongue, and swirl this around, and and he's able to kind of explain how he designed everything, and they, I mean, the meal is way better, right, than if, I mean, it would still have been a good meal, 
if they would have just eaten in the dining room, but to have the chef just walk you through everything and see the beauty of how it was designed creates all the more better of an experience. And I think the same is true in marriage, that if God is the marriage chef and he designed it, the more we understand and more able to experience his intention behind it, I think the more beauty that we actually experience from it. Okay, so that's what I just want to begin with as we look at this issue. I think that it's, it, can be, it can be one that there's a lot of confusion around, and yet if we begin to understand more deeply God's design in something, I think we experience more beauty within it and more flourishing. So here's the passage we're going to look at, okay? This is uh, Ephesians 5, and here's what Paul says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here's what we're going to begin with in this text, okay? We're going to begin, oh, sorry, the last part. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. So Ephesians 5, if you want to have it there, uh, that's the last time I'll have it up on the screen. If you want to just keep it there, I'll be referring back to some different parts. So here's how I want to start. I want to start with this question. What is the calling of the husband that Paul gives to us in this text? And here's the Here's the just basic answer. Paul says that the husband is to be the head or the leader in the marriage. That he's supposed to be the head of the marriage. He's supposed to be the head just as Christ is the head of the church. Now here's what happens when we hear that. We can think of that as a really negative thing. It's really easy to think of a leader or as the head and we go, man, that's horrible. I've seen so much abuse behind that and Paul saying that a husband is the head of the home, that he's the head of the marriage, that he's the leader. Because I think in general, particularly in America, we don't really like any sort of authority. We don't really like any authority at all. We, and I'm not saying this is wrong, but we like democracy and we like voting on things and we like consensus. We don't necessarily like there's a leader of something. There's an authority of something. We like to be able to say, hey, everyone is independent, everyone is their own authority, everyone just be true to yourself, everyone just do your own thing. We don't like any sort of authority anywhere. And so, of course, then in marriage, it's the same thing. We don't like any authority. And when Paul says something like, hey, the, the husband is supposed to be the head of the marriage, he's supposed to be the leader in the marriage, often that can conjure up a lot of negative images. We don't necessarily have positive images of that. We think, well, a leader, the head, and we think of CEOs that take ginormous bonuses for themselves and, the, and everyone else is getting laid off and, and the company's going bankrupt, but they still get a huge bonus bailout package. And that's sometimes how we think of leadership. 
It's this self-serving, the leader is the one that gets the highest perks. The leader is the one that gets the prime parking space. The leader is the one that gets all the the kind of benefits from the, the minions that serve them. And that's often how we think of leadership, right? So we hear that, we look at that, and we go, that's horrible. That's, that's an awful thing. Why would we want a leader then in a marriage if that's what a leader is? We don't want that, right? But what Paul says is not that that's the picture that we're to look at. How does he define it? He defines it by Jesus. See, does anyone have any doubt, if you're a Christian, that Jesus is Lord of lords and King of kings and leader of leaders? No. But what does Jesus do with his authority? What does Jesus do as the leader? And what Paul says in this passage is that he serves. So he's not the kind of leader that says, hey, I'm up here and you serve me. Jesus says, I'm the leader. I'm the king. I have all authority. And how do I use it? I use it to serve you. I use it to love you. I lay down my life for you. I use it to cherish you. Now that's a way different picture of leadership, right? Paul says, yes, there is a leader in this marriage, but it's not the kind of leader that we think of and that often in our world we see. Because we've seen, I mean, I'm sure you've had a bad boss that abused his authority or leadership, maybe your parents, maybe a pastor, maybe anybody, right? There's maybe a husband, maybe a teacher. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of leaders that say, I'm here to gain power for me. Paul says, there's a leader, that the husband has a calling to be a leader in the marriage. But what kind of leader? It's a way different kind of leader, right? It's a leader that says, I lay down my life. That it's not defined by our picture that we often have of what leadership is. It's a picture that's defined by this service, this loving and cherishing. Very different, right? So it's a very different concept of what it means to be the leader. It's defined by the cross. And sometimes when I've heard um, kind of this stuff taught of what's the calling of a husband in a marriage, sometimes the way I've heard it taught is that there's, you know, there's a man and there's a woman, and there, so the husband's job is basically he's kind of the final decision maker. What does it mean that he's the leader in the home? What does it mean that he is the, the head of the home? What does it mean that he's the leader? And a lot of times how I've heard that kind of boiled down is that essentially what it means is he's got veto power. So if there's, if there's kind of a decision that's trying to be made and the wife thinks this thing and the husband thinks this thing and essentially what it means is for the husband to be the head, for the husband to be the leader is he's the one that kind of it breaks the tie. Now here's what the problem with that is. I mean, there might be many problems with that, but one of the problems with it is this. If leadership is defined as decision-making, ultimate decision-making power, that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is defining it in a much, much bigger category than that. He's saying, look, here's what the husband's job as a leader is. It's to take responsibility. It's to love. It's to cherish. It's to nourish. It's to love his own body. It's to, it's to love his wife as, as the same way he loves his own body. He's looking at Jesus as the picture. And so what happens is, I think if it gets so narrowly defined as husband's kind of the ultimate decision maker, then a lot of times what happens is, for guys, they go, well, yeah, I'm leading. Because if there's a rough, 
if there's a kind of a tough decision to make and we're at loggerheads about something, then yeah, then, then I'll lead. But Paul's defining it in a way more proactive sense. He's defining it saying, look at Jesus. Jesus didn't say, I'm the leader because I make the final decision on something. Jesus said, I'm the leader as a servant. That his whole life was leadership because his whole life was serving. He says, the husband is the head of the wife just as Christ is the head of the church. And that doesn't mean that Jesus as the head of the church makes the final decisions for the church. It means, what does it mean? It means he nourishes it and he cherishes it and he lays his life down for it. And he seeks to wash his bride in the word so that she may become beautiful, Paul says. That's way more proactive, right? That's a calling that isn't just, hey, you're the final decision maker. It's a calling of you have this proactive responsibility to love and to serve and to, and, and to take initiative in that. That's what Jesus did. He took initiative to love and to serve and to pursue his bride right? That's, that's, that's a much more proactive calling than just be decision maker. So what, so the husband is called to be the leader in a marriage, which means we look at Jesus to define that. We look at Jesus to define that. And when you look at Jesus, that's defined by he's the one that took initiative to serve and lay down his life for his wife, his bride, the church. That's what Jesus did. So that's what the husband's calling is. So what does that look like, practically? If the calling of the husband is to lead by being the lead initiator and lead servant, what does that mean? What does that look like? How does that flesh itself out? And Paul doesn't spell out every single detail, right? He doesn't give this big, long list of, okay, so then you do this, and you do this, and you do this. He doesn't say that. He's setting up the broad calling of what the husband is to do, which is to love, which is to lead like Jesus does in taking initiative and serving. Okay, that's the, that's the broad calling. But what does that mean practically then? If you're, if you're married as a, and your husband, I guess those go together. If you're, I don't know of any unmarried husbands, but if you're a husband or if you aspire to that, or really just in general, if you think about leadership and taking initiative and serving, taking the initiative to serve, what does that look like practically in all sorts of different areas? And so I'm just going to, I mean, it could have thousands of implications, but let me just give you a few different areas. One of them is this. What about for your schedule? What does it mean if you're a husband? What does it mean to, to lead in taking initiative to serve in the schedule? Well, part of what that could mean is this. It means, hey, let's talk about our schedule. That's taking initiative, right? A leader is one that takes initiative, and a leader defined by Paul here to look at Jesus is one that's taking that servant-loving initiative. So it's saying, hey, here's our life. And if I'm the leader of our marriage, and part of our life is our schedule, then part of what that looks like is to say, as a husband, hey, let's talk about our schedule. Taking the initiative to just say that. Hey, let's talk about what's our life going to look like? What's our Mondays and Tuesdays going to look like? 
and thinking in mind about, and how can I serve you as we think about our schedule? How can I make sure I'm serving our marriage? How can I make sure that with our schedule, I'm thinking about our marriage and I'm serving you in that? Or money, same thing. Hey, let's talk about our finances. So a husband would say, hey, let's talk about our finances. My job as a husband is to take initiative. It's to lead in serving you and our family. So let's talk about our money. What should we spend our money on? What should we stop spending our money on? How should we change our spending habits? Hey, what, what can we do with our money? Let's talk about it. Or just the health of the relationship. The health of the relationship saying, hey, how are we doing? How's stuff going? Let's, let's talk about it. If, if, if the husband is the leader in the marriage and leadership is taking that loving initiative to serve, then it looks like saying, hey, let's talk about how, how are we doing? How's it going? How are we? How are you? Am I loving you well? Am I serving you well? How are things going between us? Is stuff growing cold? Is stuff growing hot? Is stuff, where, where's stuff at? Or it looks like talking about um, plans. What are we going to do? What's the next couple years look like for us? It looks like talking about your relationship with God. I mean, one of the things that, that Paul says is that for the husband, one of the things he says for the husband is that husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And what Paul's saying is what Jesus does to the church, us, his bride, what Jesus does to us is that he cleanses us and he makes us holy and beautiful and pure. And Paul says a husband has a, as a leader in the marriage, has a responsibility to say, how, how is his wife doing spiritually? How's it going? So the husband initiates as a leader to love and serve spiritually and saying, hey, how are you doing with Jesus? What's, what's God teaching you? How's it going? How's your relationship with God going? How can I help you to become more beautiful, spiritually speaking? Don't, husbands, don't ask your wife how you can help her to become more beautiful. That might not get, <laughs> might not get received well. How can I help you be more beautiful? Uh, what are you saying? <laughs> Nothing. I thought the pastor said I was supposed to say that. <laughs> yeah, spirit, spiritually speaking, Okay. <laughs> Spiritually speaking. So the husband takes initiative. A leader takes initiative. A leader says, it's my job to initiate. It's my job to take responsibility. Okay, that's what a leader does. A leader takes responsibility. And a leader defined by Jesus is one that takes loving responsibility to serve another person. Right? That's how Paul's defining it. This is what Paul is setting up. And so I'm just giving you a couple things, schedule and money and plans and spiritual and the health of the relationship. When, I mean, we've talked about a lot of different things during this series, right? I think this is the seventh week. We've talked about a lot of different things in this series of communication and conflict and confession and love languages and all, all these different ideas and all of that. Same thing. If there's a leader in the marriage, 
the leader's job is to take initiative in those things and say, hey, let's talk about those things. How's it going with those things? Let, let me love and serve you first. Let me be the one that goes first to love and serve and initiate. It's what Jesus did with us. It's what Jesus did with us. This is how Paul defines it. It's a proactive responsibility to lead and to serve. I think, you know, and I keep saying this, but I think one of the ways you can even think about it is that the leader is the one that says, let's talk about this. That's a lot of what leadership is in a marriage, saying, hey, let's talk about this. I didn't say that the husband is the one that makes all the decisions on the finances and all the decisions on the schedule and all the decisions on, but he's the one that says, I'm taking the initiative to serve my marriage, to serve my wife and say, hey, let's talk about these things, right? That's what a leader does. They take responsibility. They say, hey, we need to talk about this. They're thinking proactively, not reactively, not just, okay, I'll lead when this kind of decision comes up that has to be made, but it's this overarching responsibility to say, hey, I'm thinking about us. I'm thinking about you. How can I love you? How can I serve you? How can I move towards you and take the initiative to do that? That's, that's how Paul defines it here. That's what Jesus did. That's what it means to be the leader. Very different than how we often think. And I think, guys, if, if, you're, if you're hearing this and if you're a husband, I think this is difficult because I think it cuts to the heart of what many men struggle with, which is passivity. I think many, so there's different types of, and you can break it down. Some guys really struggle with more of an aggressive, um, you know, even reading. So even reading this, right? There's guys that read that, and then their struggle is going to be aggression. So they're going to be this jerk husband that's, okay, I'm going to lead and not even look at all what Paul says here. But in my experience, and I'm not talking to the world, okay? I'm just talking to our church. In my experience, what most of the time I think we as men struggle with is passivity which is looking at something like that and going, uh, I don't know, right? I mean, I think there's a lot of different reasons for that. I think sometimes guys are insecure. They, don't, they, they feel like, man, I don't have what it takes to lead. I can't do that. I think sometimes it's fear of what would happen if I did that. I think sometimes it's, I think sometimes it's entitlement. So we're passive because we just kind of feel like, well, I don't need to serve anyone. I'm good. I feel fine. And not thinking about another person. So I think there's all sorts of reasons, but I think many, many men struggle with being passive. Many, many men struggle with being passive. The, the, the call that God presents here to us is, men, you rise up and you lead. You take initiative to serve. You take initiative to love. You take initiative to say, let's talk about this. And many men feel, for various reasons, a passivity of not wanting to go there. I mean, it's even some of the things I've, I listed out, I know that a lot of times it's women that say, let's talk about this. A wife that says, hey, we need to talk about our schedule. It's kind of crazy. A wife that says, hey, I want to talk about our finances. They seem a little out of control. A wife that says, hey, maybe we, should, maybe we should start reading the Bible together or pray together or go to church together. Now, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm not saying, hey, wait for your husband to do those things. 
But a lot of times, the wives are the ones, because husbands become passive and don't, that say, hey, let's go in this direction, right? Because guys, a lot of times, our core struggle is passivity, whether because of insecurity or fear or whatever it might be. And so a call is given to lead, to take initiative, to serve, to lay down our lives like Jesus does. And guys can hear that and we can go, I'm going to walk away from that. I'm just, that's just too much. Or sometimes what happens is a guy will say, all right, I'm going to get it. I'm going to do it. But it's just very, very anxious. I don't know. How's it going? And feel just this weight of anxiety. And here's the thing. It's an overwhelming calling. What is the calling? I mean, think about the calling that Paul, that God gives to a husband. It's insane. If anyone thinks, yeah, I'm I'm killing it, then you're not reading it. Because he says, husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. I mean, can you make the standard any crazier than that? I mean, can you go, I mean, if you actually go, I'm, I'm doing, I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm pretty much there. Then I don't, you probably don't know how Christ loved the church. The calling of the husband is overwhelming. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. He laid down his life for her. I mean, that's, that's an amazing calling, right? That's amazing. And it should feel overwhelming. I think in many ways, Christian masculinity, a big part of it is weakness. Knowing, I am not anywhere close to that. See, I think in our world, masculinity is often defined by this big puff up your chest and burp and fart the loudest and shoot the strongest and I mean, just whatever you can, I can conquer and oh. I think Christian masculinity is defined by looking at Jesus, which was, yes, Jesus is king, but he's, he displayed a weakness, coming as a servant, washing feet, dying, having his hands and feet pierced, being mocked and ridiculed. And so this calling goes out to a husband to say, love your wife like Christ loved the church. That should hit us as overwhelming, and we should feel a sense of inadequacy. I'm not anywhere near that. We should go, man, I blow that all the time. That's the first, that's the first step. The first step is going, man, I'm not, man, I'm not Jesus. Man, I'm not anywhere near that. Because through that weakness, we then begin to go, I need you, Jesus. If you're the one that my calling is to be defined by, then I need you. And I need other people to help me in that. Instead of going, okay, I got this. You see? What's the calling of the husband? The calling of the husband is to take loving initiative to serve. To lead by serving. To lead by taking initiative. To lead, to be the lead servant to be the lead lover, to be the lead initiator in loving and serving. 
what, what do you think would happen if, and so not even just to husbands anymore, but just guys, because I think that's actually the heart of masculinity in general, not just being a husband, but what do you think would happen? I mean, what do you think would happen, really, just in our church, in our city, if guys really said, man, I'm, my call, I'm taking seriously my calling is to go, I'm the lead lover and server. I'm going to initiate in loving and serving. And don't, it would be amazing, right? It would be amazing. And it begins with saying, I'm not even close to that. I'm inadequate. I am weak. And Jesus, I need you, right? So that's where we start with. Sorry about this. I got the wrong one, so I'm going up and down here. Um, what is the calling of the wife? What's the calling of the wife? And what Paul says, and he, and he gives more verses for uh, the husbands than he does the wives. But what he says for the wife is that a wife is to submit to her husband. And that word is the S word, right? Like that, almost nobody that reads that goes, this is my favorite verse. I'm going to put this on a coffee cup. I'm going to put this on a t-shirt. You never see, I mean, you know, I know there's like all these Instagram accounts and Facebook posts of the uh, different female writers that put up, post out devotionals. I've never seen that one come up on the, on the screen. And you're like, you subscribe to female devotionals? No, I see other people post them, okay? So, <laughs> but I see them, okay? But never, that's never a verse that people go, oh man, this is my life verse, right? Never. It's, a, it's, it's actually one of the verses that people look at when they criticize the Bible. When people go, man, I don't like the Bible. Why? Give me, give me a few reasons. Well, I'll tell you one. Wives, submit to your husbands. Isn't that the dumbest thing you've ever heard? So it's often has a very, very negative connotation. I think because it's been abused by abusers. I think because it's misunderstood. But I also think it's just because it's disliked. I mean, I think just as same as a husband, they don't like to hear rise up to this great challenge to serve and lay down your wife, lay, lay down your life, lay down your wife, lay down your life for your wife. Okay. Husbands don't that. Why? Why doesn't a husband like that? Why does it create passivity? Because man, it, it strikes at, I've got to serve, but this does, this can do the same thing, right? It's an emptying of self to say, lay down your rights. But I also think it's because, as I said, it's often misunderstood. And um, let me tell you what it doesn't mean, okay? I think there's so much baggage around this. So I just need to tell you what it doesn't mean first. Here's what it doesn't mean before I tell you what it means. First, it doesn't mean silence. It doesn't mean silence. A lot of times people go, so a wife is supposed to submit to her husband. That just means I'm supposed to shut up and listen to whatever he says. No, not at all. Part of what I said that a husband's job was is part of one of the ways you can even define here's what leadership is, is to, in a marriage, is to say, hey, I want to talk about this. So it's not silence in any way. A husband would be a fool to say, hey, I don't need your input on anything. I'm the leader. What a fool. What a fool. It doesn't mean silence. It also doesn't mean weakness. 
Sometimes people can read that passage and it says that a wife is supposed to submit to her husband. And so it, it easily becomes this thing of, so are you saying I'm incompetent? Are you saying I'm stupid? Are you saying I'm weak? No. I mean, nowhere in that passage does it say anything like that. Now, other people might have said that to you, and that's false, and that's wrong. But it doesn't say, hey, wives, pretend you're dumb. Like, if you're really smart financially, and your husband wants to talk about finances, you're supposed to pretend you're stupid, because he's the leader. (laughs) That doesn't say that. If you know the Bible better than him, and he says, hey, I'd like to talk about, let's talk about our relationship with Jesus, it doesn't mean you go, oh, well, I don't even know who Jesus is. That's so nice of you to lead. It doesn't mean you're supposed to take your gifts and your skills and your strengths and your experiences and go, well, I can't have those anymore because you're the leader. It doesn't mean that at all. What kind of a foolish CEO would it be if as the head of his company, he told everybody that they had to be dumber than him? Hey, nobody in this company can be as skilled as I am because, I, I mean, it's, a, it's an insecure man that thinks his wife has to put away her gifts and her skills and her strengths and her experiences. So it doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean silence. It doesn't mean absolute absolute submission either. And here's what I mean by that. If a husband says, hey, let's go sin, and they don't usually say it like that, but they might say, hey, could you tell my boss that uh, I'm going to be 30 minutes late because our car broke down and he's lying and she feels uncomfortable by that as she should but she goes well i'm supposed to submit to him so i guess i'm just supposed to follow him into sin no it doesn't mean that the first person that anyone is supposed to submit to is jesus the first person any of us submit to is is jesus And so a wife never submits to her husband in sin. It also doesn't mean that she can't disagree with him. If a husband says, hey, I think we should sell everything we have and invest in this penny stock. And a wife goes, I don't think that's a good idea. And he goes, well, you're supposed to submit to me. I don't care what you think. It doesn't mean that she isn't able to disagree with him. It doesn't mean she isn't able to present her concerns to him. It doesn't mean any of that doesn't mean any of that. It doesn't mean silence. It doesn't mean weakness. It doesn't mean absolute following in the sin. It doesn't mean you're not able to bring up concerns. And here's what else it doesn't mean, because maybe you don't care about any of those. It doesn't mean any sort of traditional division of labor. Where here does it say women vacuum and men kill spiders? doesn't say either of those. Sorry, ladies. You're like, ah, dang it. I can't have one without the other. Well, you can vacuum spiders and maybe that will help. (laughs) It doesn't say either though, right? I actually saw like this new device that's like a spider vacuumer and it has this tube that's like 17 feet long, you know, and you're like, I think I got it. Um, I'm serious. Well, not on the 17 feet, but it was long. Um, But it doesn't mean, I mean, you don't read this And you won't see this anywhere in the Bible that says, okay, men, you're responsible for the outside things. You clean gutters and you mow lawns 
and you fix cars, and women, you're supposed to cook the meals, and you're supposed to do the dishes, and you're supposed to clean the toilet. And you're, there's nothing in here about that. There's nothing that says, men, you're supposed to you know, run the budget, and women, you're supposed to change the diapers. There's nothing in there. See, a lot of people have this concept that the Bible presents something that we don't like, but it doesn't even speak to that. Now, there might be things in the Bible you don't like, okay? And I think part of how we know the Bible is true is that it offends us. I mean, what kind of crazy, wacky religion would you have to have where you went, oh, I agree with everything absolutely in here, and I'm not offended at all by anything? Do you really think that would be from God? That God would say, I agree with everything you agree. Hmm, that seems suspicious. Like, does anybody agree with everything that you agree with? So if you have a religion where God agrees with everything that you believe, that might just be that you made it up. Right? I mean, the Bible offends every culture somewhere. And it offends every person at least one place. That's, that's any relationship. Any relationship will offend you somewhere. That's how you know it's a relationship. Otherwise, you just have a robot that thinks exactly like you think and does exactly what you want to do. That's a robot. That's not a relationship. So the Bible doesn't say anywhere in here. Here's what it means to submit. A woman does all these chores and a man drinks beer. It doesn't say that. Sorry, guys, if if you thought it did, and if you've told your wife it did, you're wrong, and you need to apologize to her and confess your sin to her, not just apologize, (laughs) as per my sermon a few weeks ago. Um, So it doesn't mean any of that, okay? So what does it mean? What does it mean, then? What is the calling of a wife? Paul says that the calling of a husband is to lead, he's to take loving initiative, He's, to be the, he's supposed to be the lead servant, the lead lover, the lead initiator in the relationship. What does it mean for a wife to submit then? What is her calling? What does that mean? And here's what it means. It means to respond to his leadership. See, the husband has a calling that is a calling to do something, and the wife has a calling to respond to that. I mean, it's even when Paul boils it down at the end, he says that, the, that um, a husband should love his wife and a wife should respect her husband. Love is a proactive serving, laying down your wife, all the different things he said, cherishing, nourishing. It's this proactive doing of something. And the wife's calling is to respect, which is an attitude. It's an affirming of the husband's leadership. So what does that actually mean and look like? It means that when your husband is seeking to lead, that you respect his leadership, that you affirm his leadership, that you thank him for his leadership, that you're responsive to when he's trying to lead, that if he says, hey, so, okay, I'd like to talk about our relationship, and I think that maybe we need to start praying more together. I'd like to talk about that. And you go, well, you're just saying that because the pastor said that on Sunday. See, that's not, that's not respect. That isn't submission. See, Paul gives husbands this calling to say, hey, you need to initiate. You need to lead and serve and love like Jesus did for us. And what's our calling to Jesus? It's to respond to him, right? 
It's to respond to that leadership that he gives to us. And the calling that Paul gives to a wife is to respond to a husband's leadership. That's what it is. That's what it means. It means to have a disposition and attitude and a heart that affirms his leadership and desires to respond to his leadership. So that can look like a lot of different things, but I love that the Bible isn't stupid because it's 2,000 years old now and it still applies to every single one of us. It wouldn't be applicable if he said, here's what it looks like. Wives, you clean the ox. Husbands, you make decisions about what you're going to do with your hay and it means this. And I mean, I mean it, 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 he gives us these broad principles doesn't flow out all the details and it'll look a lot different in different people's relationships right but he says husbands you're to take this loving leadership this desire to initiate and to serve your wife and wives you're to respond to that leadership to affirm it to respect it so let me ask you ladies that are wives and let me ask all of you so men and women in here, just in general with anyone. That, see, submission, I mean, let me back up. Submission is something every single Christian is called to. I mean, we're all called to submit, right? To Jesus, to leaders that God has placed in our life, to God's word. We're all called to submit, okay? So what is your general attitude towards the leadership that God's given to you, whether through his word or through your husband or wherever it is? Is it an affirmation and a responsiveness? Or is there in your mind, mm, I don't know about that. I don't like that. I don't agree with that. I don't. Th- is, there a cr- is there a continual critiquing and criticism? Or is there an affirmation and a general heart disposition that wants to respond? That's what Paul says the calling of a wife is. It is to submit, or as he says, to respect her husband. Wives, let me ask you this. Do you make jokes about your husbands? I don't mean do you joke with your husband. Do you make joke about, do you make jokes about your husbands? If you don't, praise God, but if you feel the Spirit convicting you right now, it's something to think about. Because there's definitely a culture between men and women, so wives, I'm not just calling you out here, of criticizing one another. Of, oh my, sometimes it's when guys are with guys and they start talking bad about their, their old ladies. And then sometimes it's when gals are with gals and they start talking about, well, yeah, my husband does this and he does. And it's usually not, let me tell you how much of a jack bleepity bleep 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 my husband is, Right? It's usually not that, it can be, but it's usually, well, he's so silly. Let me tell you what he just did. That's usually what it is. It's a mocking, it's a criticizing that is kind of funny. And the same thing happens with husbands. They complain about their wives doing this and this. And so, again, respect is a general principle that we're all supposed to, but let me just ask you that, wives, because it's in the text that you're to respect your husband. Do you, 
do, would, would all the people that you know around you go, man, she really respects her husband? Or for those of you that aren't married, would people say, you're a respectful person, particularly to leadership, any sort of leadership, your boss, anyone? See, submission is an attitude of responsiveness to the leadership that God's given to us, of affirmation, of respect. That's what it is. Um, This is a lot easier if your husband's awesome, right? I mean, if you, if, you read, if you read the chapter and you go, man, if I had a husband that nourished me and cherished me and laid his life down for me and was trying to make me more spiritually beautiful and was defining everything he did by Christ loving the church, yeah, I'd submit to that. That's awesome, right? I mean, it sounds great when it's like that, but unfortunately, we live in a sinful, fallen world where... We are both sinners, and it doesn't always go like that, which is what Paul knows. And he says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So it isn't even, depending on how good of a job he's doing, to the job description that Paul gives to him. It's your submission is to your husband, but first and foremost, it's to Jesus. This is the same thing Paul tells workers in Colossians when he says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as if you're working for the Lord. So you might have a boss that is so horrible to you. And Paul says, do a really good job because you're really working for Jesus. Peter says the same thing. Your boss may be unjust, but you're working for Jesus, really. He's really your boss. He's really your king. And so you can give glad submission to Jesus because he is this perfect husband, right? Even if your husband isn't. And so you can give perfect submission to Jesus which flows out into human relationship. And so he directs your attention to Jesus to see him. Last question is this. What is the calling of both husband and wife? And a lot of times what people say about marriage and kind of how, how should a husband uh, function and how should a wife function is that both should compromise. That's kind of the heart of a good marriage is 50-50. And there isn't necessarily any distinct calling that this person has or any distinct calling that this person has. Just both of you need to compromise. But Paul in this passage is giving us something way better than compromise. You see, because compromise is saying, I'm trying to hang on to my rights. I'm I'm trying to hang on to at least 50% of my rights, right? Trying to hang on to my rights, to my desires, to my preferences. I'm trying to hang on. I don't want to let go. But the calling that Paul is giving, the calling that God gives to both husbands and wives is not compromise. It's not Fight to keep your rights a little bit. Give and take, 50-50. That's not what he says. The calling that he gives to both of them essentially is an emptying of yourself. I mean, there is some distinction between leading as a servant and between submission and respect. But do you see how the core of both of those is an emptying of yourself? I mean, a servant says, it's not, I mean, to lay down your life for somebody else 
is to say, it's not about my needs and preferences and wants anymore. I'm laying that down for you. I'm not just thinking about me anymore. I'm thinking about you. And to submit is to say, I'm not just thinking about my own autonomy and what do I want and how do I think. It's I'm laying that down to follow you. I mean, both of them is an emptying of self, which is why it's so difficult, right? I mean, what can be more difficult than to empty yourself, to lay down your preferences and desires and wants and rights? That's difficult, right? Which makes it, I think, all the more amazing if we think about the difficulty of this, that that is what Jesus did for us. I mean, you look at what he's calling husbands and wives to do. And both of those things, to lay down your life, to serve and take initiative, or to submit and follow, both of those things get at the core of what is difficult for us. Our self-centeredness. That we want to stay in charge, in control, do what we want, when we want, how we want. We find it difficult, which is all the more reason to marvel at the fact that Jesus did that for us. And that's what Paul is saying in this, in this passage. He's saying, look at what Jesus did. Here's, here's how he ends the passage. He says, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So he was saying this all throughout, but he even closes just to remind and say, look, a marriage that is functioning like this flourishes because it's referring to Christ and the church. It's displaying something of what the relationship between Jesus and the church looks like, both to one another and to anyone that sees. Don't you see Jesus? Don't you see Jesus as the husband that for his wife was willing to go to the cross and literally lay down his life? Don't you see Jesus that was willing? I mean, so look, you might go, let's say right now you're a husband and you hear the calling that Paul gives to you or your wife and you hear the, Paul, the calling that Paul gives to you and you feel like, I have not done that well. That's right. And we are Jesus' bride, but what did he do still? We are the unfaithful, imperfect bride as the church. But Jesus laid down his life for us. He took responsibility for us. He cherishes us. He pursues us. He serves us. I mean, that Jesus is the husband that Paul is calling any husband in this room to. And Jesus is the wife. Now, the Bible doesn't ever say Jesus is a wife, okay? So just does call him a husband, but listen to what I'm saying. It does say that Jesus submit. Jesus submitted his life to the Father. It says that God the Son, Jesus, submits to the Father. And that Jesus, when he was on this earth, says, everything I do, I completely submit myself to the Father. I give over my whole life to follow the Father. Jesus perfectly submitted his life. Why? 
for you and I. Jesus perfectly, as a husband, laid down his life and perfectly fulfills what Paul calls wives to, to lay down and submit to the Father. Jesus did all of that. Why? For you and I. See, if we, if we read this stuff and we go, I find this difficult. I find it difficult to lead, to take initiative, to serve, to be willing to lay down my preferences and my wants. And my, I find that difficult. Yes, we do, because it's the very heart. But as we see how difficult that is, all the more how amazing that Jesus would do that for us. To the extent that when we take communion, that's what we remember. That Jesus was willing to lay down his life and have his body broken and his blood shed for you and I. And he was willing to live his whole life submitted to God the Father to say, I will do what you call me to do. You know that on the, here's the perfect picture of submission that Jesus gave to us. Hours before he goes to the cross, he's in the garden of Gethsemane and he prays, God, if there's any way, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. You see the perfect submission there? Saying, God, I will do whatever you ask of me. Why? For us. To save us. Jesus perfectly shows us submission and he perfectly shows us that taking leadership and initiating to love and serve. He does it perfectly. And he did it perfectly to bring us into his family. So if you ever feel like, oh, that's difficult. Yes, it is so difficult. And then how amazing Jesus is that he would do that for us. How amazing. For an imperfect bride as a church. Pray with me as we take communion and respond to Jesus' leadership in singing. Father, I thank you that you've loved us in sending to us Jesus. I thank you that uh, though we fail at everything that you've called us to, that we are imperfect wives and imperfect husbands and imperfect men and imperfect women, and we don't fulfill what you've called us to, and yet, Jesus, you love us and you cherish us and you lay down your life for us and you serve us and you lived a perfectly submitted life for us. God, thank you for that. Thank you that you are such a good God. I pray that you would communicate that truth to each of us in a deeper way, even as we sing. And Lord, I pray for, I pray for every husband in this room that we would, that we would remember the way that you've loved us and out of that we would love our wives. And I pray for every wife in this room that they would see the beauty of your submission to the Father and not see that as any sort of weakness, seeing that that is what you did and that that would be a, a gift that they give to their husbands as a way to represent you to them. God, I thank you that you are a loving and serving God. There's no God like you. A God that would submit for us and a God that would lay down his life for us. There's no God like you. I thank you, Jesus.